never forget how many people truly love you and are there to be there to support you. Because uh, if you lose track of that and focus on the people who hurt you versus the ones that are there to hold on to you, uh, you're missing out on wonders. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, come on in. It's the time again for us to get some inspiration, motivation, and learn to cope and survive and do something in life. Hey, we're not going to have a perfect life. We need to make the best out of it, no matter what the situation is. Hey, today our topic, we're going to be talking about eating disorder. A woman that's a recovery survivor of bulimia, and hopefully we get some little time left. I want to find out about this handwriting analysis expert she is. So, all right, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the show, Lorianne Campbell. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, thank you for coming in. We appreciate you and uh, for being here. We tell people, you know, we, no time is valuable. So, man, I'm glad you're sharing your valuable time with us. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Really uh, looking forward to sharing whatever it is that I need to share to make people understand how wonderful it is to uh, recover from bulimia. Seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, and uh, I've got a uh, older brother. You know, it's 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 not unheard of, but it is more rare with guys, men. And uh, he was in the old bulimia uh, for a long time. And we had to confront him and and stuff like that. And and uh far as I know, he's not doing anything. He seems he's been holding good weight, uh, but he did it, I don't know, 12, 15 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we would notice stuff and weight loss and the, the, the blackness under his eyes from the lack of nutrients and the weight loss and everything. And, uh, of course, the throwing up on the, uh, toilet. Yeah. Where he didn't clean up. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we finally get confronted him. It took a couple of years, but he finally woke up and we think he's on the right narrow. Now, I don't know if he's done anything for, I don't know, maybe 20 years. It may be that long ago. So, all right, Maureen, again, appreciate you being here. We want to take the whole story away from everybody. Sorry about it. About my brother, uh, bring that in first. We want to know about Lorraine. Lauren, what the, let this, uh, it's your platform. You take off and I'll ask some questions. And of course, one of the main question is, uh, what got you into the predicament? So you just jump in, let us know when you're ready. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. You know, I heard so many different stories of how people get into it. With me, I would say that it was a diet gone wrong, uh, but was it really? Okay, that's the whole point. So at 16 years old, my parents uh, moved. We moved a lot. So like I started in Montreal, then went to Turkey, then went to London, Ontario. But at 16, they moved me back to Montreal. And that's a very fragile age, as far as I'm concerned, to take away from the from your your family, really, your friends of mm -hmm. five years. So moving into this new place, I mean, I was very active. I was a cheerleader, and people say, "Oh, cheerleader!" No, really, seriously, I was the male cheerleader. I held up all the little girls because I'm really tall. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved the sport. And uh, then I move into this new place, no sports, no nothing. So it would be like go home. And um, 
you know, watch soap operas and eat crackers with peanut butter. And then it would also be getting a job at McDonald's and eating a lot of Big Macs. Um, <laughs> it was, and all of a sudden the weight came on. Uh, and it, and, and then of course there was this, you know, the origins of the dieting factor, which I didn't do until I started realizing I was overweight getting there. Mm -hmm. I was, um, was at, uh, and, and she'll probably hate me for telling this story, but seriously, I did not know anything about diets until just before we moved to Montreal, my sister was getting married and she told me that I was overweight. I was 130 pounds and I was five, nine. I don't think that's overweight. I was going to say, uh, that's a sister for you. <laughs> but based on the charts back then, and this is, we're talking, wow, 40 some odd years ago, 41. Uh, based on the charts, they used to say someone at five nine with you know my bone structure, which is really small, should be one hundred and twenty one pounds. So she put me on a liquid diet for three days. Yeah, they they I, I don't know if they really use those like they used to, but I think there's some of the old doctors that still stick to you're a certain height, yeah. medium sized build, you should be between, and I mean we just totally wrong with the new stuff we got nowadays. You know, with the uh, body mass in, index that you can check and find out and do. Yeah, I, I don't understand, but it seems to be more the older ones that's yet to retire. Yeah. But the thing is, too, is back then, too, they were completely off track. I mean, mm -hmm. they've changed they changed the charts later on. I know that so that I was actually within the realm of, you know, 125 to 140. So you can mm -hmm. be the 140 and still be, and that's fine. So I, that was, so that stuck in my mind. Like that was, I think a trigger to them when I started dieting, it was yo-yo diets and diets do not work. I refuse to diet. I will never do it again. Yes. Um, but from that, the dieting, I think even, you know, you, you, you try not to eat, then you're really super hungry. Then you're eating more and then you're getting more weight. And then all of a sudden my friend says, I said, you know, I heard that you were really, heavier, a new friend, of course, and uh, that you lost a lot of weight. She goes, how, I said, like, how did you do it? I want to know your secret. She goes, well, you can have your ice cream. You can eat anything you want. If you want, all you have to do is throw it up after. Yeah. Once you're done. And I thought, what a great idea. <laughs> it's not. First of all, once you actually, because it's not the easiest thing to actually learn how to do, which is, and I don't want anyone to think they even want to. Um, it becomes, and it's funny that you almost said it, sobriety. You said you started there. To become sober from bulimia is the same type of thing as becoming sober from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, you can have no alcohol in your room or your house or anything. Food's always present. Yes. Uh, it becomes definitely a psychological issue. Once you do have it at first, I thought, Oh, great. Lost my 30 pounds that I gained, you know, or 40, whatever it was. Uh, and then my friends, I had told my friends about it and then they, you know, some of them tried it. Like it just became this college thing and it wasn't college, which is where it usually starts. And then they started telling me, Oh gosh, you know, this is not healthy. You have to stop. So guess what happens? I pretend to stop. 
And that's where what you were saying about your brother. So then it becomes, you're just a big lie because you find ways. So if my mother noticed and yelled at me because she saw little spots and I knew to clean that, I knew you learn all the stupid things to hide it. Mm -hmm. And, but you're not hiding from yourself. That's the big thing. You always know you have it. It's awful. Uh, I did, I had three children, never bulimic through my children ever. And in fact, between my first and my second one, um, no, once I had my second one, between my second and my third one, I was, that was two years. I didn't have bulimia at all. And okay. I don't know why, and I don't know where, and I don't know how. But then when the third one came, the overwhelm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, back to it. Yeah. And then you know, and with my out, brother, well, I started noticing, I mean, when you're at, at the house eating and you get up to go to another room for whatever reason, whether it's bathroom or dining room or uh, bedroom, whatever, you just think you're going to go do something for work or whatever. So, yep. but I started to notice we'd go out and eat and then he'd get up in the middle of, in the middle of dinner twice, if not three times and go to the bathroom. And then, oh, yeah. I, then I was telling my mom, you know, some just ain't right here. Oh. And then we finally figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, and take it and take it to you know take a bulimic to a to a buffet. That's scary. Like those poor buffets hated people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yes, you disappear a few times. And how do you eat so much and stay so slim? Oh, you know, there's your stories. I work out. I run a little extra. No. <laughs> like yeah. The lies. The lies. Lies. It's just a big lie. And I can't stand lying. So it was going against my values, and that's very painful. And but it's also like a, you don't like it, but you don't like yourself. So you're lying. So you're saying, yeah, and I'm not, you know, and it's not all about weight. It starts off maybe like that, a diet gone wrong, but there's a lot of it is psychological. A lot of it. I was going to say when my brother finally, I don't know if he ever confessed he was doing it, but when he finally opened up about it, it wasn't trying to keep the weight off. He was talking about not having control in his life. Or he felt that me and my mom and other brother that we were controlling is yeah. what he would say. He would say, yeah, that uh, felt that, yeah. So he was doing this so he can control something. Which ended up controlling him. Because yeah. that's what I always say. And then I thought, you know, it became a friend, but a very evil, like not a very nice friend, but it became my friend. Uh, also, uh, it was interesting because when you get to the point of being bulimic, I don't know if all bulimics are like this, but I remember if I got angry, I would eat, 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 and then throw up my anger. So it was almost like a ritual, you know? Mm -hmm. um, if I was hurt, I'd eat the hurt, and then I'd throw it up. It was almost like I was releasing everything after eating it, trying to release it. Doesn't work, but that's the mindset that it was. Yeah. All right. Now, so, you know, we've got the idea about reasoning us starting stuff. And, and so about how long did you do this? And then how did you get help? Okay. So 30 years. Um, I started getting help when I was. Uh, so you were oh. roughly, roughly 30 years. Blame it. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't that long, but still yeah. he, his is long enough. And that's but, still long too. Yeah. 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 So. Okay, wow, 30 years of hiding, and like yeah. you said, um, deceiving and lying to not others, but to yourself, because yeah. you didn't like the lying. But uh, I hated the lying. Yeah, I couldn't yeah, stand disappointing it, but it was, yourself with it, yeah. 
it was to protect so that I could keep doing it. I had to protect myself by lying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, went to uh, a couple of psychiatrists. Um, one of them told me that I was probably going to die if I didn't stop. That freaked me out. So stop seeing her. Went to another one. He said, you're like a porcelain doll. He says, you're cold on the outside, but you're very fragile. I liked that. Um, but then the one that I saw when I was 23, she was lovely. She was a counselor, not a psychologist mm -hmm. or a psychiatrist. And she really opened my eyes to a lot of the psychological aspects of it better than the psychiatrist did, in all fairness to say, no disrespect to them. Um, but unfortunately, then my ex, my ex-husband, I got married and we moved and I lost her as my counselor and the move again. Okay, so now I'm moving again. You know, bring back uh, memories. It's just constantly. Uh, I think that could be part of it. Uh, I I don't know the full, but how do I get over it? Okay, so yeah, go help, go help. Um, other than the one that I really loved being around, the other ones just couldn't get to me right properly. And then I divorced, and then i told him that's it i just want nothing to do no 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 don't pay me anything just go um and then i was living with my sister i bought a business i lost my business and then so i had nothing i'm sitting there living with my sister in a bedroom with mm -hmm. lost everything right my yeah and my sister comes she goes i know you're still doing this and i love you and i don't want to lose you and in that moment, I still want to cry. I thought, I don't have my ex-husband to control me. And like you said, control. But the control thing, by the way, we we perceive that, right? This is our perception of mm -hmm. the person, like your brother, the perception. They felt yeah. that way. It's not necessarily he did. I just felt he did. Yeah. But there's none of that. I don't have anything to lose. <laughs> I have no money. You've already lost that, yeah. Why am I doing this? And the next day I stopped. I just did. Like, not everyone this happens, but it was just that epiphany that was like, there's nothing. There, you have nothing, nothing in your mind that should be triggering this anymore. Do you think a uh, part of the, you're saying you didn't like the first psychology, uh, psychiatrist because yeah. what you said, the other one, you, you kind of liked that you were code, but you're killing yourself inside or whatnot. Uh, but do you think, uh, I think part of it goes to, I, I really believe this, is if you're not ready for the acceptance to change, yeah. then you're going to make any kind of excuse to get away from whatever they're saying because you're still not ready. And and you're probably very right about that. But I also feel, though, that people who can get through it, like I was working really well with that one counselor. I was ready for this. She actually even told me, she goes, don't marry your, 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 your fiance. Cause he's probably bad influence on your recovery. Uh -huh. <laughs> and she didn't mean it in any mean way, but because of the way I was speaking about how powerful he was, how, you know, so, and, and she knew about the feeling of people with eating disorders and the feeling of being controlled. Um, mm -hmm. So she felt that that was a negative thing. I married him anyway. I loved him. I still love him in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but you're right. Yeah, I think. And I, but I do think that people have to find the right method of. So so that's why. I mean, you know, I have a podcast, uh, Bleep Bulimia, and my purpose on that podcast is to find 
different people who can speak to different ways of being able to recover because one way is not right for the other. That's right. That's right. Me, it was my sister chatting with me and me looking at myself in the epiphany, but some people need more support than that. And that was 12 years ago. And I had a friend that I told her, I wrote a book and everything. She goes, you were bulimic? I go, yeah, for 30 years. I've been 12 years recovered. She goes, don't you ever have the urge to go back? No. <laughs> None at all. None. So that that's that strong willed and or whatever it is you want to call it. Cause uh, my mother, she was a two pack smoker, you know, started when she, she's 82, still kicking. But uh, yeah, she, she, she was, you know, started smoking as a teenager back then you could do that. And, yeah. um, and then she got later in life, um, two packer. And then she had some health issues and the doctor told her, she needs to change her ways or she's going to die. And she did change her ways. She's been over 20 years without a smoke now. But she has told me before that she thinks about it every day, that nicotine just is uh, addictive. And, and and she thinks about it every day. She says, you know, I, I, I would like to get one cigarette just for after dinner uh, to, you know, smoke. And but then she says, but I'm afraid I would pick the, the habit up all over again yeah. if I did that. Yep. So, you know, when you say that you've really put it past you and don't think twice about doing it, I mean, that that's amazing. I, uh, I'm really uh, thrilled for that for you. Yes. Thank you. There's certain things that you can think about, too. Uh, family get togethers were always a stress for me. Christmas time was a stress for me. Anything like Easter when people or whatever, you know, anyone who has, you know, festivities would understand there's a lot of food there. And, uh, and that was so stressful. Now it's a celebration because I know that, you know, I'm going to be able to sit at the table, have my meal and not try and sit there and go, Ooh, 20 minutes is up. I got to find some way and then try and make it so that I'm not going to the bathroom, you know, and all that mm -hmm. stuff that goes through your head. Freedom, freedom. You go back to that. You're back in your jail again. I, I, I really feel that bulimia was like a little prison of my own. And I'm glad I broke out of it. Oh, and who yes. wants to go back to prison? Really, seriously, if you're in prison, who wants to go back? <laughs> I hate to say this, but I got a buddy. <laughs> if he's been off and on in prison 20 years, not a straight 20, but his is he'd get drunk and do something stupid. And finally woke up and realized, you know, I don't drink. I don't go to jail. I drink. I go to jail. Uh, but one of the last times, the reason I brought up about you weren't ready at that time with the other yeah. counseling is that uh, one of his things when he was locked up, they told him he had to go to see AA in counseling. And uh, he, they asked him some question and he says, Hey, until I get it in my head that I want to quit, there's nothing that you can say to me. It's going to make me quit. And they told him, yeah, you're right. You don't need to come back anymore. You know, yeah. because it's got to be, you want to, if yeah. we could force it down your throat, but if you're not willing uh, and yep. So after that confrontation with them, he, he changed his way and he quit drinking uh, for a while. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because if you think about it, I mean, I know, you know, my mother was really upset about it. So she'd yell at me about it. But that's not going to help me. Like, yeah, I, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. No, keep yelling. Like, I'm just going to go do more. You know, like, like, it's just like um, yeah. and she just and understand that that generation, like my mother is is 87. 
And that generation like doesn't understand. Like, what is this? I don't think there's still a lot of people who don't understand. Why the heck would you do that? That's like just wrong. Yeah, but so is a lot of things that other people do that I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I'm a firm believer we all got our own addictive to something. Yeah. Uh, I tell people mine is banana splits. So. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I love kid, bananas, Yeah, I say I say they're kiddingly, you know, just because I'm trying to like the mode. But we we all have something that we're addicted to yeah. that the other people will go. I don't understand why do you spend 15 hours on the computer, uh, yeah. you know? And not that I do 15 hours on the computer, but uh, you know, I do a lot to prepare for the podcast. I do a YouTube. I uh, got other things I'm doing and writing my own books. So uh, yeah, so but my my addictive is is porn as well. So, yeah, we can let it control us too much or we need to learn to set it aside for a while when we need to. Yeah. And that's interesting, too. And 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 thanks for sharing that. You know, let's like uh, I don't know that I would have been able to say that if I was addicted to that. But I had a friend who was and um, he, he he passed away, but he was he was an alcohol. He had post-traumatic stress disorder. He was a correctional mm -hmm. officer for many years and okay. then he was off for a year and. Like I was with him every day watching him. Not a bad drunk. I mean, he was a super mm -hmm. funny guy. But uh, but he said that to me. He goes, he says, I'm addicted to porn. I said, you know, I need no, um, that's not my thing. But I appreciate him being honest. Mm -hmm. You know, that was just cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, too, that was interesting is that when you actually do recover and people have known that you were bulimic, um, it could be five seven, 10 years that they're still watching you after you finish your meal to see if you're going to go to the bathroom. They do not believe that you're recovered. Yeah. I, I think that's in most cases, not just for bulimia. I mean, cause yeah. um, uh, an alcoholic and then uh, especially family members and close friends. Yeah. Uh, is he going to have the after dinner beer now? Yeah. Um, and my younger brother, he passed away two weeks before his 38th birthday and his was alcoholism. He started oh. drinking when he was 12 years old down the road with um, um, working on cars, like a garage. They got him started. And so, yeah. So, yeah, he, he was two weeks before he turned uh, 38 that oh, he passed goodness. away. So uh, uh, all I say is, you know, uh, you know, we love we love them. We everybody again, everybody's addicted to something. So, you know, we we love them. And only thing I can say is uh, he's not chasing that demon any longer. So uh, from that, yeah. but yeah, we're, we all got something that's a little tricky on us. And if we let the slippery slope happen, that uh, we'll fall deep into it. Yes, I agree. Yeah, so, that's really well said. So, um, I, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that I, you know, 12 years without it. I'm I, glad I, that you're 12 years recovery, um, a survivor of this. Because again, yeah. I mean, you could easily be dead from it. Oh, yeah. Oh, and think about this. Here I am, 47 years old, because I'm, I'm turning 60, by the way, on uh, September 23rd. Proud of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I made it this far. <laughs> there you go. And uh, at 47, you're, you're heart attack age, man. And I'm telling you, bulimia takes a toll on your heart. You finish one of those episodes and your heart's going boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and, and of course, what you're doing is you're not letting that nutrition get into your body like it's supposed to, no. which is adding more to the organs and uh, deficiency. Yep, and hydration yep. along with it. Yep, so there's, there's a lot to it. 
So, well, I'm glad that you have recovered and you've been 12 years. I hope another 112 years uh, for you. Uh, you know, unless the Big Bang Theory guys can come up with me living longer than usual. I'm in my last quarter here, turning 60. And then they say, after 80, everything after that's a bonus. So let's see what my bonus is. <laughs> there you go. Hey, my mom, well, your mom's in the bonus time then. My there mom you go. and dad are both into bonus time, yes. There you go. My dad actually, with my younger brother, was his real dad. It was He was my stepfather. But he was the dad that I considered my dad. I never met my real father. My mom and my mom and dad divorced before my first birthday. And he oh. never once said a birthday card, never once said Christmas, never once did anything. And he died at 35. Uh, but never met him. Uh, 12 years old, had an opportunity when he was dying that um, my mom sent a, a message to him, knew he was sick and dying. If you want to see your son before you pass away, I'll bring him to you. He never sent word to want to see it, but that, that's cool with me. So my mom remarried. So that stepdad, I considered my dad, which again, my younger brother, that was his dad. Uh, yeah. But he was the one that I told people loved me when I needed it. And sure busted my butt when I needed it. And uh, so, yeah, he's, he's the one that I consider my dad. Now, I don't know where I was going with that story uh, any longer. Oh, other than other than you were talking about your dad uh, in the bonus uh, yeah. over 80. He, 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 again, he was my younger brother's father. He died at 42 from a oh. mass, from massive heart attack. And, yeah. And so my younger brother, for some reason in his head, his dad died at 42. He didn't think he'd ever make it to 42 yes. or live for some reason. And the alcohol took him out. And I said, you know, he was right. His premonition, uh, because yeah. he made it right. Not he making it, it right. yes. not making the changes. Yeah. So. No, because my, my grandmother died at 48. My mother, when she turned 48, she was freaking out because she said, this is the age my mother passed away. I'm probably going to die too. And here she is at 87 and she's still going... And I, even when I turned 48, I was like, that's that's right around the time. So 47, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, my grandmother died at 48 of a heart attack, right? So it, it does. Those ages are weird how they connect with you. Yeah. So anybody listening, hey, if you've got some type of addiction, I don't care, bulimia, alcoholism, drugs, pornography, uh, banana splits, if it's controlling your life, be sure to talk to someone. Again, it, seeking a professional probably better and easier but she said that her sister, um, Lauren said her sister's one that really woke her up uh, at the end. So uh, you know, find a loved one that you can talk to and uh, and try to kick this addiction. Uh, again, we all have something going on. Uh, don't feel guilty. Don't feel ashamed. Don't feel embarrassed. Uh, we all have something. So just try your best to get out the best you can. I love it. So now let's take a few minutes here. We've gone nearly 27 minutes. Hey, I want to find out a little bit about this uh, handwriting analysis and stuff. This is, this could, could be, I mean, amazing. I mean, just think of the letters you can read and determine if this guy is whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, I mean, we, I was talking, we were talking before we started the show here about how Ted Krasinski, the uh, Unabomber, uh, they were able to take his notes and do hand analysis and determine uh, who he was and stuff. Yeah. And I think what's really cool is, I mean, you know, I'm not a real science kind of person. I understand it, but when I have to repeat it, I don't do it really well. So mm -hmm. it's in my head. But it's all about the neuro uh, signals that go from your brain to your hands. Mm -hmm. 
And it's funny because you can look at, you know, you can be in school or teaching you how to write a certain way. But once you become an adult, nobody writes the way that they were taught in school because they're writing like their character. So it won't tell you your future, but it'll tell you the characteristics. Mm-hmm. I was joking around like we were talking in the head. I said, I haven't really made any money off it. I could probably try harder too, but I really just enjoy it. Cause even being, I was a service advisor in the automotive industry for seven years. Now I also do delivering of the vehicles where I, at the very end, I produce the car to the clients mm-hmm. and there's always signatures. And what's fun is you can tell what kind of character that person's going to be that you're going to have to deal with. So big, nice handwriting means that they're bubbly and they're fun. And then if you've got the little tiny ones, they're going to be more detailed. So you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it prepares you to be. And I love that you said that, too. Like, I always say to people, you know what? Before you date someone, if you're single, get them to write something down. Send it over to me. Yes, I will only right. charge you 50 bucks. <laughs> hey, write me a love note. <laughs> but it's uh it, it the character comes out and it's and it's real like it's like I say I have a ninety five percent success rate because I always have people give me their their um, response to how successful it is that's pretty high so there you know and it's been proven since way back that this is true uh, now people are saying well people don't write anymore because of the computers here's a fun fact though people can write if they want to because they have to sign their name and they can they right. have to write notes still people still write and they go oh but my writing's ugly i don't care it's the shape of the letters it's got nothing to do how pretty or ugly your handwriting is mm-hmm. and i can tell who you are characteristically that's it's amazing that uh, yeah we leave that little footprint fingerprints uh yes. writing print however you want to put it it's yep. amazing you know we leave our dna everywhere now and again uh, a piece of your so-called DNA is in your writing. Yep. So, and I think I think handwriting analysis is a lost art. Like there's not a lot. Oh, of I have no there. doubt about that. Because again, like you mentioned with the computer today. Yep. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely believe that too. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, if you want, I will offer you this. You can email me a sample of your handwriting and I will, for no charge to you, do a quick handwriting sample analysis and you can come back and tell me you're wrong. The other thing too, I just want to really quickly say, James, though, is that uh, if you change your handwriting, so let's say you've got a T bar on your, like on your T, like if I can do this right. So your Uh T bar, right? This here, if it's down here, that means you've got low self-esteem. If it's here, it's healthy. If it's here, it's good. If it's down here, you can practice to bring it up here and your mind will change. So your self-esteem will go up. Oh, wow. Okay. So changing your handwriting could change your life. And this is something I took from the university. I have to give Bart Baggett that because that's what he, he called it. And he's the owner. Uh, but it really does. And and I have my colleagues that I work with from the university. Uh, it's called Handwriting University. And we all agree that when we change certain things, uh, if they have a D that has an open loop at the top or a T that has an open loop at the top, it means that the T is your uh, your uh, you're sensitive to criticism on your intellect, the D sensitive to criticism on your physical. Okay. You close that up and practice to close it. You become aware of the fact that you're less likely to be that way. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, that's it's something amazing. a lot of people don't know. You change your writing, you can change your mindset. Now, uh, my issue would be before my injury, I was left-handed writing. 
And oh. now after my injury, I'm right-handed writer because my right side is stronger than my left side. And so I was all left-handed beforehand, did yeah. everything left-handed. Now I'm right-handed. So I don't know if that would oh, do anything. Interesting, but it would still be the same. It's still coming from your brain. So it doesn't yeah. matter if you're left or right. It's okay. The, the, Okay, some of the shapes may be a little bit different, but the main characteristics of the character will still be there. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see, and there may be a study, I hadn't really researched it, but I've asked uh, one therapist, when I, I'm a spinal cord and you got my neck broke playing football. And so uh, I asked one therapist one time, I said, hey, I used to be left-handed, but I'm right-handed. And she says, oh, we've heard of plenty of people uh, when they get their neck broke that they switch dominant sides. And I'd like to see... Uh, if it's more true for right-handed to left or left to right, or just generally, that's what happened. Uh, Isn't that interesting? It is. It is. I would like to know that. So, all right, Lorianne. Oh, okay. I just amazed. Hey, anybody, anybody else, please search for help. Don't tell you don't have to do this struggle alone. All right, please search for help. And you know you're around people that love you, okay? And, and I used to tell my younger brother, I said, you know, you're drinking, you're doing all this. And I said, don't think you're hurting yourself only. You're hurting the family that loves you and uh, other people that's close to you love you. And uh, yeah, but that addiction just gets so strong for him. So, all right, uh, Lori, I appreciate it. Hey, if you want to um, put the name of your book out, your website, and your social media for people to come help find you. Okay, so I'm pretty humble. So I, uh, <laughs> uh, most everything, if you look up uh, IamThatGal.com uh, will come up. Uh, for my podcast, it's bleak bulimia, um, a nicer term than the other word we would like to say. Mm -hmm. And uh, my books, I do have three. If you go on Amazon, I've got um, Makeup Not Required, How to Brand the True You. I also have How to Have Your Cake and Not Eat It All Too, uh, mid, uh, uh, adult recovery uh, for bulimia. And then my other one is called Hampy, and that's just an illustrated book that I did when I was 18 and I finally published, you know, when I was 50. So it's like, that's awesome. That's awesome that you said you. at 18, you did this and you kept all that all them years to finally say, damn it, do something or don't do anything. And yeah. so that's great. Cause I uh, go back to a friend that I met at the old Wally world. And uh, I was been there walking my service dog at, at the store and met Donna. And she told me she wrote a little mystery type, novel at the age of 14 15 16 and she kept it all these years and she said she would like to get it published and i said i've published a book let me help you donna and she passed away before she gave me the material oh no and i saw her family at the funeral and said hey if y'all find donna stuff on this please get it to me I'll still publish it and get put her name on it for credit, you know, let her have this. And they said, Oh, we know what you're talking about. She's told us about this uh, when she wrote it. And um, there, she's been dead now t 10 years. I ain't yeah. heard anything more back from her family. So, oh, but that's I, sad because that's so that it's just, yeah, I, they, yeah. you know, they end up selling her house. So I'm assuming they box it all up and whatever and, it's gone. Uh, so, uh, you know, but, and it may not be the most wonderful, you exactly. know, exactly. Yeah, she, she would say that, Oh, it's just my kid, right? That's good. That's okay. Yeah. How many kids read? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, 
I said, and I said, I won't charge you anything. And she said, and she even said she had it on the cassette tape where she'd give me the cassette tape if you don't want to give me the paperwork, and I'll get it translated, and we'll do. This. And I asked her, I mean, several times, and then she ended up passing away before we got a chance to do it. So that's so sad. Yeah. So that's the message out there. Well, yeah, don't, we don't, we don't know. You, you may wait to do something with something. But don't not do it. Yeah, yeah. But what happened with her is, uh, I think part of her, she died from broken heart. Her son was living up in New York area where she came from and had a heart attack. Okay. And she went up to go see him when he died. And then when she came back home, wasn't feeling good, got in the hospital. And he said, you've had a heart attack. And then she died a few days later. It was like a week difference between them two. And wow. uh, I guess part of it is a broken heart from her son, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That so, would, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. All right. Sorry to end this on a, not a terrible bad note, uh, but again, as Lauren yes. says, get, get stuff done. Cause we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So uh, you got that aspiration to, to uh, do whether it's a book, a mm -hmm. song, it may never go anywhere, but I'm a firm believer that we ought to be, writing a memoir of ourselves, whether you have it published, whether it's just a memoir on the computer to let your great, great, great grandkids know what you used to be like. And, I agree. And so from there. All right, Lorianne, thank you for being here. And I'll take um, your uh, information and, and stuff and put in show notes to make it easier for people to find you. And I appreciate it. Now, Ann, before we leave, last thing here, we know the people are hurting and struggling today. And if you can leave us with a powerful message to help them get through today, that'd be awesome. Okay, I best I can say is just uh, never forget how many people truly love you and are there to be there to support you. Because uh, if you lose track of that and focus on the people who hurt you versus the ones that are there to hold on to you, uh, you're missing out on wonders. It's yeah. easy to hang on to the pain, isn't it? Isn't it sad? Easier. And and when I let go of that and I started focusing and the feeling and, and to feel the love, because I tried to hold that back too. When you mm -hmm. open up and feel the love and accept the love of people who are handing it to you, it's amazing. And uh, that's going to be my last quarter is just pulling in all that love. <laughs> there we go. That's right. That's right. Well, we're throwing some love from right outside of Nashville, Tennessee to you. And Thank glad you. that you have come this far. And again, I hope you get further and further and further uh, from there. Anyone Thank else? Hey, Thank you. Be sure to share us out. You know, someone that uh, maybe not necessarily if they're an eating disorder, but someone that can learn that you can get over whatever situation and still have a good life. All right. Be sure to share us out. I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance. Thank you for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. Do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.